Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Bobby Panton. Bobby is the author of From Guilty to Guilt. Three, nine steps to overcoming emotional eating. So welcome onto the show, Bobby. I appreciate it, man. Glad to glad to connect with you. So before we delve into today's episode, Bobby, can you explain to myself and also the listeners how you got into obviously writing the book in the first place? Um, what's it's it turned into, you know. I actually lived emotional eating for 20 years, 20 plus years. And it it really just comes down to, it would be selfish of me not to come up with a book or something out there to help people overcome something that I've overcome myself. Mm -hmm. So I got past my fear of, you know, can I really write a book? Can I really do this by just, it's selfish of me not to want to help, you know, people overcome something that I struggle with and I now overcame. So that's really the main reason I wrote this book. And if we go a step further and look at you talk about obviously emotional eating, what are kind of some of the struggles you had to overcome with probably say, what was like things that you craved? What were difficult to Oof. probably dispel <laughs> early on? How much time do we have now? <laughs> Um, my biggest thing was sweets. Um, like I, like oatmeal cream pies, uh, carrot cake. I was more the convenient. If I could get to it quick, I was literally like a, you know, I, I could have just lived at McDonald's. I always joke cause I went there so much. I'd say I wore like the glass, you know, those glasses they make with like the mustache attached mm-hmm. Halloween. I would joke. I'd wear a disguise because I'd go there so much. So really, almost any junk food I could get my hands on, I would eat. I mean, the list is too long. I could sit here and list foods all day. But Bobby, would, would the – oh, God, I can't remember the documentary they brought out with um, the guy that ate McDonald's – what was it? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner oh, it'd be a few years ago. Did that not bring out the um, negative connotations of eating like that or – did you kind of have that mindset that it's not going to affect me eating that way? The mindset really, and, and I think you, you can correlate, you know, I call, I say food can be a drug or a medicine. It's really the mindset of you, you're, you're lying to yourself so much that you don't admit that you're eating the food. So no matter what someone says or what you actually see or hear as far as information, until you actually accept that you have the issue and you, you admit it to yourself and you've convinced yourself, nothing's going to get through to you. So I could watch anything. It would make me feel bad, but then I would go right back to my, you know, my, my subconscious habits of overeating and running to food uh, when life would, you know, would hit me hard. And so it really didn't matter what I did until I changed internally. But isn't it a difficult thing to, to overcome, Bobby? Because you, we talk about emotional eating but it's to overcome a situational um, avenue we're at at the moment, be it joy, uh, we're down, we're always 
maybe hardwired to go and eat something that's going to make us feel better. Oh, it's, I mean, there, I think it's here in the U.S., I believe it's 71% of Americans are some form of overweight. So it's, it's, non, it's, it's definitely challenging because almost three-fourths of Americans are overweight. And the reason is, is because a lot of Americans, and just, I think this is not just an, Amer- uh, an American issue, but a lot of human beings don't realize the emotional state they're in. And don't even realize they're going to food, which makes it even more difficult that you don't, you can't connect, you know, happiness or stress or anger or, you know, being depressed or lonely with food. So the fact that people don't even recognize that they're using emotions in their emotional state to eat makes it twice as difficult to lose weight. But what would be kind of <clears throat> some of the steps that you could do that? Because obviously enjoyment is on the obviously one one echelon of the spectrum as opposed to being depressed or sad. Obviously, you'd associate a lot of, if we look at movies as the example, uh, women that have broken up with guys or go and obviously have ice cream. Obviously, that's a generalization that people are depressed or in an emotional state. But what could you do to maybe overcome that on the other spectrum, because obviously enjoyment would you'd associate normally with, I don't know, anniversaries, birthdays and such. Obviously that's a joyous occasion. Well, and in a relationship's a great example. You know, when someone breaks up with someone and they get sad or upset, when do they usually get over that person? When they get into a new relationship, they've replaced that feeling with something else. So you, you know, my advice for overcoming emotional eating is you have to find a positive alternative to replace the food. And that's why you see a lot of people who will jump from smoke, they'll quit smoking cigarettes and then they put on 40 pounds because their brain still needs that satisfaction. It needs that the human brain's really smart. It needs that gratification. So it's going to jump to something else. So it's a great point you brought up. And I say that human beings since the day of our birth, we've been programmed to be emotional eaters. When you're an infant, you cry, your mom breastfeeds you. When you're three years old, you throw a temper tantrum and your parents get, hopefully they don't, but most parents give their kids cookies so the kid stops crying. When you're 10 and you eat all your, your dinner, you get dessert, you get cake on your birthday. We, at funerals, we have junk food. At Christmas and Thanksgiving, it's all about eating. At Halloween, we get candy. We are programmed to just eat like crap and we are programmed to be re- we have a reward system. We've been programmed since birth that when we have a positive emotion or a negative emotion, here's junk food and we feel better. So what, what one of the steps to overcoming this is first is to get accountable. That's the first step is like literally like admit that you have a problem, you know, overcoming emotional eating. That's the first step because if you don't admit you have a problem, you're never going to try and fix something that you don't know is wrong. Um, and tying into what you said about, you know, you know, a relationship going to food. I think this is my, I, I hate ranking them, but for me, this was my toughest thing to do. And what people out there listening need to understand is you can't celebrate weight loss with food. Now, when you, when you mentioned the relationship going to ice cream, it's because we celebrate 
almost everything, you know, with, with food, some people celebrate with alcohol. And the reason you can't celebrate with food is because that would be like you quit drinking for a year. And after a year of sobriety, you go out and celebrate with shots of tequila. That's what it's like. If you go out and get ice cream after you've lost five pounds, you just celebrated with the thing that triggers your obesity. It'd be like if you quit smoking cigarettes for five years and you're like, let me light a cigarette up. So you can't reward yourself with something that you're addicted to. And I think once people admit that they have an addiction to food, because it's embarrassing. Like I would, I would rather tell someone I, I, I was addicted to drugs over addicted to food because everyone portrays drugs as bad and people portray food as something we can control. Oh, you're overweight. That's your fault. It's true but you still have, you've been programmed to overeat. Oh yeah, but then Bobby, you could go a step further than that in terms of saying, people say that you're overweight, it's your fault. But then I, I could equate the argument if you had type 2 diabetes, but if you're type, two, uh, type 1 diabetes, sorry, it is, in most cases, you don't know what the reason is that you've got, quote unquote, that disease. So I think... I've maybe had that mindset in the past. Well, if somebody's become overweight, it's their fault. But then you're judging somebody from the outside and you don't know what the actual circumstances may be. Oh, I agree 100%. And I think for the most part, it is internally our fault. But there are medical conditions where people, there's just nothing they can do to lose weight. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's so challenging for them that it's almost impossible because of hormonal issues. Um, like in my book, there's a bonus chapter by Dr. Scott Walker and it, it talks about women and I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to try and sound smart here. <laughs> he talks about polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is PCOS, which like 200,000 women a year suffer from. And it's a hormonal issue that basically causes them to overeat. And then they put on some weight and, they, and it turns into emotional eating. And now they have their hormones and their brain telling them to eat and they gain weight and it makes the condition worse. So it's like, literally, it's, it's working against them. And so I, but I do think society perceives food as less dangerous as drugs because, you know, it's, drugs will kill you quicker and food just slowly poisons everyone. But then, like you probably agree with, with this this statement it's i think it comes down to knowledge and teaching people the complexities what food makes makes up because there'll be arguments of kids will say to me oh but sir this um drink doesn't contain sugar it's like uh, i can assure you it probably does it's just be it worded in a different language or it has a um, sweetener as a replacement or well, technically that's still sugar and I think it's because there's that misinformation. You take it as face value, what it says on the front of the package, be it a drink, uh, a meal, and you take that as factual, when in, in all honesty, because you are not a scientist or have that lingo as part of your, as your, part of your DNA, you accept it. Oh, yeah, and, and also... Uh, food is like gold. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a multi-billion, it could be trillion. I don't, honestly, I don't know the number, but f food is a business. 
So if you know, go walk down the cereal aisle and see who these high sugared cereals are catered to. They're catered to children. You get children, you know, hooked on these sugars at an early age, they become obese and now they get put into a system. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. So, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's vital that we get to our kids and we educate them on sugar. We educate them on, you know, the importance of being healthy of, of their choices, but also I think body image is huge because we are emphasizing so much on body image in our society to where kids have these unrealistic expectations because of social media now of how they're supposed to look. So it's almost poisoning their brains to where they're overeating because they're so stressed from putting on weights, if that makes sense. So we definitely want to teach kids just the fun. I mean, the fundamentals is all you really need. But then should you not take a step back, Bobby, and, and probably maybe, well, it's probably a stage in both of our lives we were body conscious, but maybe take for them of this generation to take a step back and to say, well, I'm comfortable in my own skin. If I'm happy with myself, it shouldn't matter what my peers think of me. Obviously, as a teenager or in your early 20s, that is very difficult to do because you are trying to gain that acceptance. But maybe it's flipping the switch and looking at it, well, maybe those aren't the right people to be around in the first place. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And I, th I think our kids need more people going, you know, I started speaking in schools and I, I think our kids need more mentors and people coming in outside of their families, you know, telling them stories, teaching them principles on stuff and showing them the right environment to be with. You know, I just, I just spoke at a high school and we talked about the power of choice, you know, and just showing kids like what my, my father died when I was a teenager and that's not my fault that he died, but it was my responsibility after he died for my decisions. Now, and, and the same thing you can teach kids, there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens in, in their life growing up. It's not your fault that this stuff happens, but at the end of the day, your choices is what dictates your success. So your choice on you know who you hang out with, your choice on what you eat, your choice on the decisions you make. You know, because I blame my dad's death for 20 years on my lack of success. Anytime someone said anything, well, my dad died and I wanted sympathy. But after like the first two years, after two years, people were like, I'm sorry your dad died, but it's time to move on. But I never did. So I think, I think emotional eating isn't just, it isn't just teaching kids, like you just said, educating them on food. It's also the power of ch their choices, the power of their environment. There's so many factors that go against this. But then do you not do you not think, Bobby, that uh they are I'm trying to try word this so it's not uh not too on PC, but do you think they are too quick to um pass the buck at times and say, Well, like you said, it's not my fault, so I can't be wholly responsible for some of the decisions I make if they're the wrong choices? I think that's just the human beings now. I think human beings just I think the number one reason for not being successful is finger pointing just in any aspect in life is not, is not being accountable. And that's why I say I was so big on just admitting, admitting that you're an overeater and it's, it's more challenging for a child to admit that because uh, children aren't as, you know, children are super intelligent. Um, but as you get to adult stage, you know, you have to admit that you're, you're an emotional eater and that's accountability. So to answer what you're saying is just 
honestly, you can't point fingers. I put a post on it yesterday about finger pointing. But then if we take a step back now, Bobby, and say, get your opinion on this, do you think we, we touched upon the, the um, issue of sugar? Obviously, in a lot of the foods in the U.S., they would be of a higher concentration of be whatever it is, sweeteners, sugars, as opposed to maybe in Europe. Do you think that maybe brings up the issue of obesity a lot more because of that higher concentration of sugar? And obviously, it's going to get more people addicted a lot quick, quick ah, a lot quicker. I'm 100%. And the problem with sugar is people don't even realize they're eating sugar. Like I have a coaching, I have a coaching client. He, he quit drinking soda and he started putting extra barbecue sauce on his chicken, not knowing that the barbecue sauce is just loaded with sugar. So I think of, you know, just here's the analogy I use um, as far as like reading labels and teaching kids to understand how to read a label, you know, just what to look for. Um, but I use the analogy of flying on an airplane, you know, every time you get on an airplane, the flight attendants come on and they give you instructions in case of emergency. And they always tell everyone, you know, they put your oxygen mask on first, you can help other people. And I always think about it. I'm like, no one ever pays attention while the flight attendant's talking. I'm like, so if the plane goes down, you're going to have like 90% of the plane in panic because only like 10% are listening. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing with sugar people aren't paying attention to the instructions and by instructions, I mean the labels and just, just teaching kids, you know, to put their oxygen mask on first to understand sugar and, and just what the, the simplicity of labels, you don't have to know everything on the label, but if you could just teach kids on just good and bad on what to eat, just the fundamentals and show them like, look, this has sugar. Or if it has a word, this, if you, if there's a word you can't pronounce, it's not good. Just little steps like that would be huge. And it absolutely, sugar absolutely is a reason why there's more obesity here than where you are. I mean, in my mind, because sugar, I think it's, I, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe there's a study, um, it'll come to me, but they, there was a study done by a medical journal that sugar is six or seven times more addictive than cocaine. So if you're, if you're, if you're, if the children are eating 40 grams of sugar for breakfast, I mean, what's that doing to the brain? Well, it'd be, it's it, it, for the short term, it's going to obviously have that insulin spike and they're going to have, well, going to be wired for a little bit. And as, as we know, both know, there's obviously going to be a downside to that. Oh yeah. I mean, cancer feeds off sugar. I mean, type, type two diabetes is, I mean, growing at an astronomical rate. I mean, glucose, heavy doses of glucose are just, they're killing us. That's, then, that's, that's why I laugh when people are against fat, because I actually eat a high fat ketogenic, you know, I live a ketogenic lifestyle. Now, good fats, but I laugh when people are afraid of fats, but then they'll have six donuts for breakfast. What were you going to say, though, before I, I cut you off? It's a bit two-faced in terms of that argument that, that, that people will judge you for that because well, not only is that a fat, that's also like, like we've touched upon the sugar, so it's kind of hitting them twofold. But to, to kind of go on to your point um, about what we, I was going to raise, but wouldn't it be – we talked about it, I think, I think it was 
a YouTube video I seen a couple months ago uh, where it was two YouTubers, one from the US and one from the UK, and they sent each other sugary snacks to try the um, to try each other's one to see what the taste was like. Obviously, the Americans found ours products to be uh, well bland, if not, and obviously there's it's that that sugar content is not or to their satisfaction in terms of obviously what they're used to. And on the, on the flip side of that, the person in the UK having the American stuff, you could kind of see their eyes light up in terms of, oh God, this is far too much sugar for my yeah. system. But we, we, need to do, we need to do that, by the way. We need to send each other candy and do a Facebook Live and, and we'll, we'll taste the candies live. But in terms of, Obviously, my, my point I was going to raise was with in terms of kids in this country, I think you, you I think they get to the point where the body's going to get a tolerance to what you have, but for it to actually have an effect to, in terms of stimulate the body, they're going to have to increase it. So it's never, the body's never going to be satisfied. So you're going to just have to keep up in this dosage of sugar, which is never a good thing in the first place. No, and that's, I always tell people, I'm a big fan of supplements. I do believe there's a lot of good weight loss supplements, but if you don't get to the foundation and root of obesity, which I believe is, you know, emotional eating, your brain is smart enough to where eventually a product won't work if, if your emotional eating is strong enough. And it, and it ties into what you just said. Your, your brain's going to get a tolerance. It's going to build a tolerance and it's going to want more. It's going to want more. And that's why drug addicts, you know, their, their doses go higher and higher and it's the same with sugar. And that's, that's really why the education needs to start from, you know, the lowest level of kids that, that can comprehend how dangerous sugar is. But would that, not, would that start at home or, or would that start in the edu- in education department? I think it starts at home. It 100% starts at home because kids spend more time at home than they do at school. Especially when you're when kids get to an age, right before right before kids start going to school is when you can start educating your kids on healthier foods, not not rewarding your kids for throwing a temper tantrum with a cookie, even though that's the easy way. You know, little stuff like that. Because I think when you're giving your kid at three years old cookies when he when he throws a temper tantrum in a store, you're already teaching him that all right. Well, when I get mad or I have an emotion, I'm going to get sugar. So now your brain, your brain, he might not understand it, but his brain does. So now you're going into school where there's, there's, there's more peer pressure factors in a, in a school setting to where there, and there's just terrible, terrible um, nutrition at schools to begin with. So now it's like we're, we're preparing our kids to go into an environment. Actually, we're not preparing them to go into an environment where they're prone to become emotional leaders. But, Bobby, wouldn't that be a case that is it like that in the education sector because of cost that they're going to obviously go down the unhealthy route? Yeah, I just think the la- it's lack of funding for schools. But like, then I think the schools just don't, our school systems don't have the funding to provide healthier lunches. It's, well, all, I think it's, it's all about a, business. It's a difficult one because obviously they're, they're going to 
uh, those quote unquote bad companies are going to fund stuff to go in. So you can't, it's like a no win situation. Well, that's, and that's why you need as many people like, you know, that do what you do, people that do what I do to just keep educating and do what you can. Well, that's very true. It's, it's, but then like we, we touched upon a little bit, it's, it's that accountability. You need to one, want to change, want to have that healthier lifestyle, want to have that knowledge base that you can question things that are out there and say, well, like you said, if it's something you cannot, you cannot pronounce, it's, it's obviously not good for you. And it's, it, it's, I think it, it does come back to that root emphasis. You need to want to do it for yourself. And like you said, it's not finger pointing. It's not saying, well, the system has failed me. Oh, the government has not informed me. Uh, the schools haven't taught me the right, uh, well, the right way to cook, uh, giving me the information on how I can help my health, well, have a better healthy life. It, it Obviously, that's going to be later on in schooling, but I'm probably in most, in most cases, that's going to be too late. Well, and that's, like, I mean, what you're saying is exactly why I wrote this book. I'm showing you, like, when my dad got diagnosed with cancer, that's when I, you know, I'll say got addicted to food. I, I, food was my escape. And some people that won't make sense, but the ones who do, you know, I emotionally ate for 20 years. So I'm showing people that I had bad eating habits growing up. Then I ran to food. I became extremely obese. I lost weight. I put it back on. I lost weight. I put it back on. But even at 36 years old, I finally became accountable. Instead of using the excuse, well, I've been doing this for 36 years, I can't change now, I'm showing you that you can change when you change your daily habits, when you accept that you're an emotional eater. And that's why I wrote this book, to get it into as many people's hands as possible in hopes that this book gives them the tools that they can overcome emotional eating no matter where they are in their journey. And Bobby, would you say in terms of overcoming uh, the steps – would you say it was a very much habitual change? It was very much going against what society views as obviously they want that quick fix and whatever it be in society, in society now. Is it very much implementing one thing at a time and being in it obviously for the long road as opposed to, like I said, doing it, gosh, I don't know, for like a, a fad diet, so to speak, be it for a couple of weeks? I think it's it's all about improvement. You're not going to go from a crazy emotional eater to the world's healthiest person overnight. So it's 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 just daily improvements. It's like, you know, if you're learning to walk, you're going to fall down, you know, and there's times you're you're still going to trip as an adult and fall and hit the ground, but you don't just lay there. You know, you get you get back up. So it's really just improve and also when you emotionally eat, it's okay. Like if you have a bowl of ice cream, learn from it. Be like, all right, I had this. Let me try and prevent it next time and move on. And, and, and an improvement from that would be not emotionally eating the whole day or not going into two days or three days. Because that's what we do. We'll, we'll eat that bowl of ice cream. We'll eat that bag of chips. And then we feel so bad about it. We're like, oh, I knew I couldn't do this. 
I, I'm a failure. I'm, I'm, I'm fat. You know, it's, this is stuff I used to say to myself. I'm this, I'm that, all this. I call it, can you hear me now? It's a type of uh, emotional leader. It's sec, uh, negative self-talk. Then it just causes us to put weight back on because now three weeks went by and we're eating like crap again. So it's, it's it just little ways you can improve each day. And then eventually you're going to get momentum. And then those, you know, after I think it's, you know, 21 to 30 days of doing something, then you're going to build these new habits. So it's really just, and it's overwhelming. I mean, I'm going on three years on my weight loss journey. I'm still walking and battling emotional eating, but I've improved enough to lose 120 pounds. I've put some weight, you know, I've put 10 pounds on 20 pounds in my journey, but then I'm like, I'm finding where I'm making my mistakes and I'm making adjustments. So I think, I think with the availability of food and sugar and the way our society is, it's something you're always going to battle and have to be careful about. But the more control you take of it, the easier it is to control. But Bobby, in terms of like replacement foods, in terms of say, if we use, we use the example of the ice cream, could you, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, way of looking at things either, but could you not replace the ice cream for, say, sorbet because it is somewhat more nutritious in a way? I'm, not, I'm saying I'm not, I wouldn't say I wouldn't advise people to to eat a whole tub of that either. But wouldn't that be a better option? A little bit. I mean, a hundred percent. I I eat um an ice cream called halo top, which is made from sugar alcohol. It's a, it's a protein ice cream. So if, if what you're saying is exactly what I'm doing there. And it's, it's very, it's not the same as regular ice cream. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, it's still delicious, but we're so accustomed to so much sugar that it's not the same. That's what I mean. It's, I think it's delicious, but I'll eat that ice cream, you know, and, and I'll only keep enough of my house to where if I did indulge, I'm not eating like a thousand calories. I'm eating like 150. So absolutely, there's substitutions, and I always rec- I I believe in moderation, but I don't believe in moderation for everyone because everyone's different. There are people out there that if they eat five cookies, they're just that addicted to food that they're going to go off the deep end, and that's the people that need to keep these substitutes in their house or don't keep them in their house at all. But there's definitely like there's there's cookies called fat snacks that are. Um, they're like a keto friendly cookie and they have no carbs, no sugar. They're made from a uh, coconut flour. And honestly, they're, they're so similar to regular cookies and they're more filling and they have good fats in them. It's not, it's not, you're not eating like fried chicken when you eat it. So you have, absolutely you can. But then if we talk about you now, Bobby, and, and in terms of where your threshold was with eating sugar, did you ever get to the stage where, in most cases, when you're eating a lot of sugar, you get to a stage where you feel nauseous, you feel like you're going to throw up? Was that, was that ever the case? All the time. I mean, when I was, when I was at my worst, I mean, I would just... <laughs> I'll tell you a, a, a funny story. Um, I love carrot cake. So when I was at my biggest... My mom bought, we have a store called Publix here in the United States. I don't know if it's in over where you are or not, but it's a grocery store. It's one of my favorite grocery stores. And they make this carrot cake. And my mom bought one for like a family event. And she's like, do not touch the carrot cake. And I'm like, you got it. I won't eat the carrot cake. So I got up in the middle of the night and 
I ate the whole carrot cake with my hands. <laughs> like I literally like ate the whole carrot cake and I don't mind laughing at it, you know, cause, <laughs> um, so I remember that moment, like after eating it, I, I was just sitting there eating it, not even paying attention, almost like sleep eating. And I remember being so sick. I was, I felt like I was going to throw up, but I, I felt like a high. And then I felt like, I mean, similar to alcohol, you drink a bunch of liquor, um, and you feel good, but then you, you overdo it. And all of a sudden your body's like, get rid of this poison. You know, and I woke up the next day and she's like, did you eat the carrot cake? I'm like, absolutely not. And she's like, let me see your hands. And I actually had, that's how bad I was. I actually had like still frosting. Cause I went right back to bed. I still had frosting on my fingernails. <laughs> so, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I think you put anything too much of, I mean, it's very tough to do, but if you put too much water in your body, it can hurt you. I mean, it's, I think too much of anything is going to make you sick, which makes it even crazier that we emotionally eat so much that it makes us sick. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you have thought now, gosh, what was it, a thousand years down the line of evolution, the body would have come up with a solution for that? You, I mean, you'd think so, but I think it's, we're products of our environment. You know, we, human beings adapt, but I think we're, we're adapt, we adapt to simplicity and we've, we've, we've become such a simplistic society that everything is so quick now to where it's causing our nutrition to be poor because it's easier to get bad foods. So I think, I think that simplistic, you know, like, you know, social media, um, Netflix, Uber, Airbnb, you have everything at the click of your fingers now. And that's, that's, uh, transitioned into our food because the foods that are the worst for you are the ones that are the quickest ones to get. So I think that that it's almost like an addiction of getting something quick and we've almost for, we've forgotten how bad things are for us because of how quick we can re- receive them. Did that answer your question? I would say so. Yeah. But going forward now into the future, how do you think we overcome that? Because obviously, if we keep going down the same route, this, this, uh, the problem is only going to get worse. It's all education. It's more people. You more people educating people we have a we're at a, a place where you, you can get information like this you can go on youtube's you know facebook instagram vero snapchat you have all this information it's it's literally people competing against the advertisers which message are you listening to are you listening to bobby who wrote the book or are you listening to the sugar manufacturers because they're both coming at you but it's which one grabs your attention first so i really think it's more people just doing what you and i do teaching other people how we, we grew, we grew through what we went through. That's really, I mean, we can break it down into different sections, but it all comes back to messengers. Someone who overcame emotional eating, someone who does what you do, where you're educating people on different topics and helping other human beings. That's what it really comes down to. Cause I, I think the obesity problem is all because of greed. Money's become more valuable not to everyone, but there's a percentage of people where money is more valuable than human life. No, I would agree with that argument, but then would it kind of a different, it's a different topic there, but wouldn't you, uh, 
agree that it is a part of the human DNA that you always want to go one up on uh, on somebody else. It's a kind of capitalistic view that you always want to do better than somebody else. So it's in one facet or another is always going to be there. Yes and no. I think that's capitalism is a great thing, but you also have to understand that you, you know, you don't need all of the money in the world to be happy. That's, that's where I think I used to think I needed to be a millionaire and I needed this and that to be happy. And then I realized like those happiness is an inside job. So once you realize that you can still be, I own my own business. You can be a capitalist and still help people and not be greedy. You can still say, Hey, I want to make a good living, but I'm also, you know, I speak, um, I'm writing a book. I can make a great living doing those, but I can also help people and give back. I don't have to be the richest guy in the world to be happy. So I think you have to balance it. I mean, it really, you know, if, if you're in business just to make money, I don't think anything good's going to come from that. Now there's people that'll disagree with me, but I think, you know, you can be a capitalist and still have a life of balance where you're giving back and helping people. And if we go maybe a step further with that, Bobby, you, you, you were saying obviously with people that uh, have a lot of money on the flip side of that, they're not always happy. So would there be a case in point that some of those people then have problems with obviously their eating habits? Oh, absolutely. And I don't, this is one of my favorite people. I'm, I'm in no way taking a, a jab at her, but Oprah Winfrey struggles with her weight. And she's, I'm pretty sure she's a billionaire. So if, if, if Oprah, this isn't just a, you know, this isn't just a problem with people who don't have money. I mean, I think this is just, it's, it's an issue we, with every um, economical group. I mean, if, you know, you see homeless people that are overweight. So if you are going to see people that have money that are overweight because I just don't think they're prioritizing their weight. I think we, I think as human beings, we, we get so comfortable in our surroundings that we just, we forget that we're overweight. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying Oprah does, like I love Oprah. I'm not even, you know, I'm not trying to sound like I'm coming at Oprah, but you, you look at the money she has and that shows you how big of an issue emotional eating and overeating is that she's one of the richest women in the world and she's still overweight. Now that could be her just being comfortable. Like she's like, you know what? I'm healthy. I'm happy, which I'm fine with. But it also shows you that any age, any gender, any financial group is really ex- is exposed to to overeating. Would it come down to obviously if we t- we've touched upon it's that environment, obviously, of commodities, time. Uh, and being able to get things at a click of a button and, and being used, well, people are more likely to use the microwave nowadays than be able to cook. So do, do you think it comes down to that being the problem? Obviously, people are going to look more to the simplicity of how fast I can get a meal out as opposed to uh, the actual benefits of cooking for yourself. I think it's prior. I'll say this. It's priorities and perception. If you want, we all have the same 24 hours. 
It's just how you decide to use it. And it's perception of time. It's not time because in theory, everything is easier to do now. So we actually have more time than we had to do stuff 20 years ago. But obesity is higher. So it's really your, it's, it's the perception of people. It's, it's, that, it's almost that instant gratification from everything else is causing you to cook in the microwave, is causing you to get the food. So when, when your health is not a priority, you get caught up in that, that stigma of fast, 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 and you're actually, and then the marketing comes in even faster, and you're not stopping to think about what you're eating because it's not a priority. You know, like my health is my number one priority because if I'm not healthy and I die, nothing else matters in my life. You can't support your family. You, there's nothing. If, you're health, if you don't have your health, you have nothing. So that's my first priority. And I think that people should, you know, not to go down this road, but people should put God in their health first, you know, and just whatever spirituality or creator, and you don't have to do that. But for me, it's, it's our creator and my health first. Because if I, get a heart, if I have a heart attack and die, my career, nothing else matters. And I think once you put that priority on your health, then you'll start recognizing, wow, I, I, that extra 30 minutes at the gym I do have because you're creating it. And I, I was told this by somebody oh God, a few months ago. They kind of prioritize, and you, 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 you've answered that question a little bit. They kind of prioritized to me, what was it? Family, work, and I think their health after, what would you say to that individual? I would say that your health should be first because the healthier you are, the, the more you can be there for your family. That's mentally and physically because mental health is just as important as physical health. And, and I'm sure that person could give me, you know, the same answer of showing me how, but I really feel like if you are the healthiest version of yourself, you're, you know, you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better father. Then if you know, if I'm 400 pounds, I'm not going to be the same man. Like I'm single now, but if I'm in a, if I'm married and I'm 400 pounds, I'm not going to be the best dad and the best husband because there's stuff that I just can't physically do. And because I can't physically do that mentally, I'm not going to be the same man as I would be at 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying you're happier at 200, but you're, you're, you're healthier. And a healthier mind operates better and a healthier body operates better. So I would say become healthy first and that's going to make your finances, your, your family, your faith, it's going to make everything improve. And my final question for you, Bobby, before we wrap up sure. the episode, is if you have to summarize what we've spoken about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? That's a great question. I would say that have an open conversation about your health and about food and never be afraid to learn new things because you've taught me a little bit about, you know, where you live compared to where I live, the differences. So that'd honestly be it. Be open to conversation and also be open to learning because you've taught me a lot today. Like I've learned, I've, there's several things I've learned today that I didn't know. So thanks for the, those wise words, Bobby. And thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. I appreciate it, man. This has been, I really enjoyed this. We definitely have to send each other some candy. I just want to, I just want to try the candy you have. <laughs>
I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.